Welcome to episode four of the flagship podcast of Fansided's calltothepen.com. You can find this podcast as well as all the great content our contributors put out at calltothepen.com. I am your host and Fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices. As I always do whenever we meet, I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience. Podcasting and listening to podcasts should be fun. New episodes are scheduled for Mondays and Wednesdays, weather permitting. We have a lot to get to today. Wednesday, August 9th, it's hump day. We will be getting to a judge's chamber on loan from the KMP show. A lot of people love Aaron Judge, as you should. You should love Aaron Judge. But speaking of Aaron Judge and AL MVP candidates, Mike Trout celebrated his 26th birthday in style. We got to talk about it. And perhaps, perhaps, don't get crazy, but we're going to talk about it. A legitimate MVP candidacy for Mike Trout. And, of course, what is hot and happening at calltothepen.com, including the recent dominance, and I mean dominance, of Indian starter Corey Kluber, as well as the Pirates needing to face life without Jung Ho Kang. It's uh, really unfortunate. No, Uh uh-uh, it's not really unfortunate. You know what? Scratch that. Don't reverse it. Just scratch it. Just do that record scratch thing. I can't do a good. I don't have that sound clip. I don't have that one queued up. But here, I got Hawk for you. That is totally absurd. I agree, Hawk. It's absurd. You know what? It's not sad that Jung Ho Kang might not get to play in Major League Baseball again. It's not. Whatever you think about DUI. Whatever whatever you think about it, okay? Not trying to impugn this podcast with politics or any crap like that. Not trying to get into any of that. Whatever you think, whether you think it is a crime punishable by death, and certainly there have been marketing campaigns aimed at making you think that, whether you think that, hey, man, it's just really not cool to do that. You probably shouldn't do it. And if you get caught doing it once, you probably shouldn't do it again. More of a moderate type. Or if you think, man, whatever, dude, I'm just going to drunk drive all the time because that's what I do. I don't care. Here's the thing. When you're Jung Ho Kang and you are a Major League Baseball player, you were a very successful professional baseball player internationally already, and you come to Major League Baseball and you get a you get a job, a very high-paying job, that many people around the world, many people in this country and the country from which you emanate, would love to have. You can't be going around getting busted for DUI. Never mind once, never mind twice, but three damn times? What are you doing, you big dumbass? I get it. Yeah, they slid into you and broke your ankle in the NLCS, or which is it was it the wild card game? No, I think it was the NLCS. I get no, no, no. It was the wild card game. It was, it was, it was, it was game one sixty three. I understand that you're kind of pissed off about that, but that's not reason enough to start climbing into a bottle and then getting behind the wheel of your damn car. I don't care where it is. And you know what? It's crazy that he's just out and about in Korea right now. Got busted in Korea for his third DUI over the offseason, was convicted of it or pled guilty to it. Either way, he did not say, no, no, we're not guilty. There was not a, a, a movement. There was not a finding of fact that he was not liable for the crime of driving under the influence of alcohol and popped for number three in Korea. It's just, <laughs> out and about, just chilling. 
but it's making it hard for get for him getting back into uh, the United States as it probably should. And a lot of people might say, oh, it's sad, it's sad, it's tragedy. No, it's not sad. It's not a tragedy. His dumbass did all that. Whether you want to believe drunk driving is a crime of recklessness or a crime of negligence, I don't believe it's a crime of intent. I don't think you it can be a crime of intent because you're drunk. But regardless of whether you fall on that spectrum, he had a role in that. And when number two rolls around, I'm willing to give you two. I'll give you two, but I won't give you three. And it's the same kind of crap that people pull with Jose Fernandez. Oh, oh, it's a a tragedy. Bull crap, it's not a tragedy. Dude was drunk and high on cocaine and traveling a boat in the dark of night at unsafe speeds near a jetty. That's what happens when you do that. So, no, I'm not really inclined to feel that sorry for the likes of Jung Ho Kang and Jose Fernandez, obviously different levels of uh, of resultant sorrow uh, in the world. But, you know, you want to try to tell me, oh, it's sad, it's so sad, it's a tragedy. You know what's a tragedy? is those two other guys who were on the boat with Jose Fernandez who are now dead, who just wanted to go out and get drunk on a boat, which is fun. It's fun to get drunk on a boat. But then Jose Fernandez kills you. And you know what's tragic is anybody else who was put at risk by Jung Ho Kang getting his third try, his third chance at going, oh, you know what, I just I just can't not drink. Do they not have Uber? They've got to have Uber. I mean, Seoul is at least advanced, as advanced as, like, I don't know, Minneapolis in terms of a metropolis. In terms of size, it's bigger than New York. And... You're, you're going to try to tell me that you, a professional of many years, a professional baseball player, you can't find an Uber or a Lyft or just a taxi, whatever it is? I don't know. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll talk about it later on what's hot on call to the pen. But in lieu of a scoreboard, I know some people like to get kept up to date on the latest and greatest MLB scores, we have a judge's chamber. Pitch to judges, hammered into left field, hooking fair ball home run. Aaron Judge just kept it fair for his major league leading 19th of the season. High drive, right field, going back Bautista, looking up, see ya, into the second deck the other way. We last did a judge's chamber on the first episode episode of the show, uh, the 31st of July. And since that show, Aaron Judge has somewhat returned to form. And, you know, at least as much as anyone can in a six-game, 25-plate appearance sample. Because, of course, you do uh, this segment a week apart. There's only so much baseball that can be played in a week's time. So he's played six games and accrued 25-plate appearances. In that sample, though. Judge is batting 250 with an on-base percentage of 400 and slugging 550 with two home runs. That's good for a 300 ISO and a 375 BABIP. Of most importance, at least to those of us who like Aaron Judge and to want to see him and want to see him keep uh, continue hitting dingers. 
is the fact that Judge's home run to fly ball rate is at 50% over that time. His home run to fly ball rate is 50%. 50% of the fly balls that Aaron Judge hits turns into uh, turn into home runs. And that is, uh, as we learn more and more about Aaron Judge, the power hitter, and what he can do with Major League pitching, uh, we learned that his his a key facet of his power hitting is not the sheer amount of of well of course it's about the sheer amount of home runs that he hits but he's not one of those guys who has like a 20 percent home run to fly ball rate and he just hits a ton of fly balls and eventually if you've got an average even an average home run to fly ball rate and you just smack a crap ton of fly balls first of all the league's going to adjust to you and you're going to start seeing a lot of sinkers and sliders and change-ups down in the zone but also uh, you leave yourself in a precarious position. You open yourself up to a lot of luck because if you are a massive hitter of fly balls, that is what you do, say, going on 47, 48, 49% of the time, and you rely on your average to above average home run to fly ball rate to turn in, turn those fly balls into home runs for you. If your home run to fly ball rate atrophies for whatever reason, for just you know sheer luck, uh, it's a, there's a low-pressure wave coming through following you around on your road trips whatever just random chance those fly balls are just going to be lazy fly balls that are going to turn into outs and if you don't have the commensurate number of of uh, or amount of line drives and, and ground balls and all that it's going to be a lot harder for you to continue to hit home runs. Aaron Judge seems to be unique in that he just hits fly when he hits fly balls, they turn into home runs. He has a home run stroke and when he lets it loose on you when he's not drawing walks, which he has been doing and continues to do uh, throughout uh, throughout this time frame and th- you know since the All-Star break and throughout this entire season, when he's not drawing walks and hitting singles, when he turns loose that home run swing, it's going to turn fly balls into home runs runs at a gargantuan a gargantuan rate and if this turns out to be an actual skill of judges i think what we're looking at is somebody who has stumbled upon something where you are you have you have such a skill such that when the vagaries of baseball when those random chance events happen and when they start stacking up and 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 multiplying and and you know trying to chase you down to to put you in a slump he's going to have just the natural skill to overcome what would turn a 20% home run to fly ball rate into a 5% home run to fly ball rate. His home run to fly ball rate is just going to be average when those things come to get him. And sure, he'll see a dip in his power numbers. Of course, anybody would. But they are not going to be the completely impotent dips that we've seen from many players past. As for recent trends, His 10-game rolling weighted on-base average has begun the climb out of its lowest point of the season, which was 224 at Game 92, Game number 92 for the Yankees. Currently sitting, it is at 324. His 10-game home run to fly ball rate sits at 30%, which, again, while below his total on the season of near 40, is still more than double, double the league average and what the league average hitter is able to do in terms of turning fly balls into home runs. So that is the Judges Chamber on loan from the KMP Show. Uh, if you want to check out the KMP Show and other sports talk formatted podcast, you can go to kandpshow.com. All right. I teased it at the at the beginning of the of the podcast and um 
perhaps it's time. Perhaps it's time to break everybody's brain and um, get everybody all riled up and upset that how dare somebody, we live in a hot take world and this person has a hot take and I don't like it. I don't want to see it. But here's the deal, all right? Mike Trout is insanely good. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know how many of you baseball fans out there knew that. Raise your hand if you did or did not. You know, let me know in the comments if you knew that Mike Trout was pretty damn good at at baseball. But Mike Trout is having another insane season. After hitting a double and a home run to celebrate his 26th birthday in style. God, his 26th birthday. He's only 26! That's not fair! That just is not, that's not fair. He, it's, I don't, I don't even know how to put it any other, any other way. It's really not fair that Mike Trout is this good and this young. It is the antithesis of fair. It is wrong. It is wrong for Mike Trout to be only 26 and be this damn good. You know what makes it even worse is when you look at Bryce Harper, who also has the full head of coiffed hair. And every time he takes his helmet off now, he does the little, he does like the the supermodel thing coming out of the pool. Just, ah, ah, got to get that air out of my face, bro. All right. After hitting a double and a home run to to celebrate his 26th birthday, damn you, Mike Trout. It's time to consider just how awesome Trout has been since returning from a UCL tear in his thumb. He tore a ligament in his damn thumb. That's the death knell for some players. For some players, if they tear a ligament in their thumb, if they sprain their thumb, which is technically tearing, I know. But if they sprain a ligament in their thumb, they're in they're in trouble. It's it's what helped shorten Paul Canerco's career. Paul Canerco started having wrist and thumb issues. When you have somebody who's such a tremendous hitter and they start having thumb problems, that is usually, not always, but usually a rather large cause for concern. Now, this is since returning from a UCL tear in his thumb. Injured on May 28th, Trout finally made his regular return to the starting lineup on July 14th. And since that time, he has put up gaudy numbers that are even by Mike Trout standards. Even by what Mike Trout is! These are ludicrous. Since his July return, Trout has appeared in 21 games and has accrued 96 plate appearances, in which he has amassed a batting line of 363, 469, 663. Good for an ISO of 300 and a weighted runs created plus of 204 and a weighted on base average of 467. On the season, <clears throat> excuse me, on the season as a whole, Trout's pre and post injury games come together to form a season the likes of which he even he has never had. Through 68 total games and through uh, 302 total plate appearances in 2017, Trout has a batting line of 346, 464, 716, with 23 home runs, a weighted on base average of 472, and a weighted runs created plus of 208. The batting average, on base percentage, slugging percentage, weighted on base average, and weighted runs created plus would all be career highs were they accompanied by a full season. Here's the part you may hate, and I'm sorry if you feel that way. I really am. No, I'm not. I'm really not. Sorry, not sorry. But Mike Trout is putting together a 2017 AL MVP candidacy. 
and he would get a vote from me. Mike Trout would get an MVP vote from yours truly. Since his return in July, Trout has led all of the MLB in weighted runs created plus with his 204 mark. His 467 weighted on base average since returning leads the AL in that time frame. Since returning from a thumb injury, being an offensive first player, Trout has led all of Major League Baseball in weighted runs created plus since his July return. And his 467 weighted on base average leads the AL, as does his OPS of 1.131. And he is tied since returning. Okay, this is all MLB players since July 14th. No other qualifiers. He is tied for the second most home runs since July 14th as well. Of course, there's a lot of players with seven home runs. Seven is the lucky number. Gets you number two in the AL. Overall, Though he doesn't qualify for batting titles, he hasn't accrued at least 3.1 plate appearances for every team game played. And I, I haven't done the math, but I don't. I, I'd have to look at how many games are left. I don't even think it's possible that he gets to that. So, in order to qualify, you have to if your you know your team plays 162, you have to accrue 3.1 plate appearances for every 162 games played, which comes out to 502 plate appearances. You need at least 502 plate appearances in order to qualify for the batting titles, in order to qualify for let's say the uh, the FanGraphs default plate appearance qualifier is is called qualified and it only shows guys that are qualified for the batting title but but though he doesn't qualify for batting titles uh trout's weighted runs created plus and weighted on base average figures on the season okay this is not since his return but on the season would lead the league with a bullet with a bullet he would be leading the league and weighted on base average and weighted runs created plus. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I can hear you. Yeah, it's a podcast, and that's not how that works, but I can hear you thinking in your head right now, whether you're on your way to work, whether you're at work, whether you are just waking up with uh, with some coffee, checking some MLB scores, you're looking at your fantasy squad, and you're listening to this podcast, and I can hear you, and you are pissed. You're pissed. You're queuing it up right now. You're queuing up a tweet to me, at John's Voices, right now. At J-O-N-S Voices, right now I can I can feel you typing it out with your thumbs. Going, you idiot! You dumbass! You're so wrong! You're an idiot! You're saying, John, those are rate metrics. They're not counting statistics. And the exact reason there are rules for qualifying is to prevent people from making dumb arguments about guys who have played only a portion of a season like you're doing right now. I know that's what you're saying. I know. And I get it. I get you. I totally do. But Trout's 5.0 F-WAR on the season thus far would be good for third in the AL. His offensive runs above average on the season, of which he has 41.9. 41.9 offensive runs above average would lead the league, beating even breakout rookie and show favorite Aaron Judge. Bam! There it is. There it is! That's your candidacy for Mike Trout, AL MVP candidate. Despite tearing a ligament in his thumb, playing in only 68 games, he is third in the American League in Fangraphs wins above replacement and would lead the league in offensive runs above average. 
Both of those are counting metrics. Both of those tell you how good are adjusted for league and park effects. Both of those are showing you exactly how balls-to-the-wall insane Mike Trout is this season. Because I know I know you were thinking, I know you are thinking when you saw the rate metrics, like, this guy's dumb, this idiot. Come on. There's no way. It's impossible that Mike Trout's this good. Right? Because, all oh, those are just rate metrics. He's just basing his case on rate metrics. And rate doing so is so stupid. That's so dumb. Nobody could. There's no other metric that says that Mike Trout's really that good. Oh, contraire. Fangraphs wins above replacement and offensive runs above average. Third in the AL and FWAR and leading the American League in offensive runs above average at 41.9. Now, of course, of course. There are other ways to value to to value value. It's called the most valuable player. Not the most not the league leader in wins above replacement, not the league leader in offensive runs above average, not the lead leader league leader in home runs or batting average or OBP or slugging or any of that. Value in most valuable player is well open to interpretation, and everybody has their own little concoction, their own little mix that they like to talk about. And I understand, and I totally get it. I I even agree. I like having discussions about about the various recipes. Think of it like a recipe for your MVP candidacy, most valuable player. Most uh, again, most not even most is eh, you know. It's not as valuable, top valuable overall. Most implies that, but yeah. So I enjoy having those discussions. However, there is one one facet or one subgroup of those recipes that is wins above replacement dependent, that is offensive runs above average dependent, that is weighted runs created plus, that is weighted on base average, that is OBP, that is slugging, that is ISO, that is OPS dependent. The Sabre community would be on board. I don't tend to speak for all of them, all the nerds. But being a nerd myself, speaking for this nerd, and for this nerd who likes to make those kinds of arguments for most valuable player, Mike Trout's up there. Even ahead of Mr. All Rise. All Rise! Aaron Judge. You're supposed to stand up in the courtroom when the bailiff says that, just so you know. Don't 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 show up to court and try to don't I don't know maybe that's why he can't come back to the United States maybe Jung Ho Kang was just a just a d bag in the courtroom I don't know how court works over there but when uh, when somebody says all rise and you're in the presence of a uh, of a judge you're supposed to stand up they like that and if you don't yeah they got some power over you that you may not know about so I understand that that you you may have your own theory that you may have your own decision you may want to put your own kind of weights if you want to call them that your weighting of different facets like uh Mike Trout did he play a whole season okay if you care about that great but i can say i value performance i value dominance over average over what can be considered reasonably considered a replacement player it's part of that whole appreciate greatness thing that LeBron was all about for a while. The appreciate greatness. Remember that slogan? And everybody started, you know, break their hand trying to pat themselves on the back appreciating LeBron's greatness. Not that 
there's not plenty of greatness to be appreciated. But a subset of that is appreciating dominance and enjoying dominance in a category of sport. And I think that Trout, even in his limited role, even in his limited playing time this year, has showcased enough dominance, despite, again, I know, I lay it down, only played in 68 games, only has a little bit more than 300 plate appearances. I understand. But in the time that he has played, he has been so incredibly dominant, so incredibly dominant, that it's hard to deny exactly how much better he has been than everybody else, even in this shortened time frame, even in the reduced playing time, the reduced plate appearances, the reduced defensive innings. Defense is another thing. Mike Trout is a good defender, but this year having a year. Okay, you want to talk about that? That is incorporated into wins above replacement. I would counter but if you want to say, no, you know, I, my guy's got to be dominant in all facets of the game, mm, okay. What about playoff appearances? Despite only appearing in 68 games, the Angels are kind of – let's pull up MLB.com. I've been marveling at the NL West, so forgive me for not um, not exactly checking in on the AL West as often as I probably should. Okay, there's 17 games back of the Houston Astros. But they're only three games back of the second wild card. Only three games back of the second wild card currently held by, it looks like, the Tampa Bay... No, Kansas City. It looks like, or it looks like there's a tie currently currently. Uh, between the Rays and Kansas City. Currently a two-way tie for the second wildcard spot. The Yankees, current holders of the first wildcard spot, and uh, the Rays and Royals aren't tied for the second spot. But the Angels, three games back of the second wildcard spot or three games back of that two-way tie, they would have their two games back in the lost column of Seattle. They'd have to leapfrog them. Uh, they are two games back in the loss column of Minnesota, having to leapfrog them. And they are three games, three and four games back, respectively, of the Raising Kansas City Royals. But all of that is largely because of Mike Trout. Because in the time that he's been playing, they've been really good. They've been very good in the time that he's been playing. Since he, when he was out, uh, I'd have to run the numbers. I'd have to look at some more splits on uh, on what the team did. Maybe that'll be another article for uh, for calltothepen.com. But I got to say, despite whatever you may think about MVP voting, whatever you may think about what valuable means in most valuable player, you've got to, you have to consider, if not, uh, I'm not saying ascribe to, I'm not saying that, but you have to consider the sabermetric argument. And the sabermetric argument does not favor Mike Trout because there are other players who are perhaps about as good as Mike Trout who have done so over an entire season. However, Trout is up there with those players uh, having been out for six to eight weeks 
with a torn thumb. Again, something that befalls a lot of hitters and something a lot of hitters can't come back from. All right. It's time for What's Hot on calltothepen.com. This is the section of the show where to close out the episode, we send you on your way to some of the great content currently featured on Fansided's Call to the Pen. That's at calltothepen.com. Call to the excuse me, Call to the Pen contributor Tim Haberin has a fantastic piece up highlighting the dominance of Indian starter Corey Kluber since returning from a lower back strain at the beginning of June. Tim's piece detailing every facet of Kluber's dominance is linked in this post on calltothepen.com. So go there right now right click or or uh, if you're on a chromebook do that like double tap thing that you got to do which took me like three years to figure out how to do on a chromebook if you're on a chromebook do that i don't know what you do on a mac uh i don't know what you got to pay 35 dollars or something to double click i'm not sure or right click but uh open a new tab right now open tim's piece it's great because i was completely i was completely un i did not know that Corey kluber was doing this kind of stuff and probably, probably is playing a lar- large part in how the Cleveland Indians have been able to stave off the Royals, the surging Royals. Yeah, they've cooled a bit, and they're oh god, they're three and seven in their last ten. But for a while there, Kansas City was knocking on the door of the AL Central lead, and the Indians have been able to hold them off. And it's got to be in part because of Kluber. But suffice it to say, Kluber has been Cy Young worthy. I know this is a show full of hot takes, right? But listen. Posting a 1.60 FIP, which is lower than his 1.77 ERA and an XFIP of 1.75. This is since his return start on June 1. He has a 1.77 ERA, uh, a FIP of 1.60, and an XFIP of 1.75. Just a quick aside, XFIP is basically fielding independent pitching, but... The the calculation assumes that the pitcher has a league average home run to fly ball rate. So let's say if a pitcher has a, uh, a a FIP that's really really low, but he's in part doing it because he plays in an environment you know where there are not a lot of home runs hit you know for whatever reason he's getting lucky and his home run to fly ball rate is like 5%, then XFIP just assumes a league average home run to fly ball rate and recomputes the rest of fielding independent pitching around that. So you get kind of a look in the difference between FIP and XFIP of how lucky a pitcher has been, at least just a kind of back of the envelope, thumb up, you know, just eh, kind of eyeballing it. Look at how lucky a, a pitcher has been. So 1.60 FIP, you might think, Oh, man, what what is his XFIP, like 3.5, which will still be good. Don't get me wrong. That's still a good XFIP. But with an XFIP of 1.75, Kluber's doing other things, too. There's other things going on uh, to, to create that fielding independent pitching. Kluber is striking out batters at a rate of nearly 14 per nine innings since returning and walking less than two per nine while allowing home runs at a rate of less than one per nine innings in his 86 and a third innings since returning. That's key. 86 and a third innings since June 1. Kluber leads the league in whip FIP and XFIP among all starters since his return and is one of the only three pitchers to throw at least 80 innings since June 1. Okay? He is one of only three pitchers 
to throw at least 80 innings since June 1 and over that time frame among all eligible pitchers with at least 50 innings because I'm trying to weed out some of the relievers there because they muck up the whip and FIP ratings. Kluber leads all starters with at least 50 innings since June 1 in whip, fielding independent pitching, and expected fielding independent pitching. So go check out that piece from Tim Haberin right now. It is linked in the post on this podcast on calltothepen.com. Elsewhere on Call to the Pen, David Hill takes a look at what the Pirates are looking at in a world where second baseman Jung-Ho Kang is never allowed to return to the United States after his third DUI arrest in Korea during the offseason. David does a great job detailing exactly how hurting the Pirates will be without Kang's bat. His piece is linked in the post of this podcast on Call to the thepen.com. So if you want to look at what uh, I, I basically covered the Jung Ho Kang thing and the DUI part of it and that facet of it, but if you want an in-depth look of exactly, you know, okay, Andrew McCutcheon has sort of returned to form. All right, and if you're the Pirates, you don't really make any big moves. You don't move Garrett Cole at the deadline. You don't move Andrew McCutcheon. A lot of people were thinking, especially with the start to the season that the Pirates had, a lot of people were thinking, all right, well, they've got some pieces they can move to get this rebuild rebuild going. They can turn it around, hopefully, quicker than most with the pieces they have available to move. And even if they hold on to one of them, even if they only ship away Andrew McCutcheon, you're likely to get somebody back that you would very much covet, that you would very much enjoy. And... The talk preseason was whether they'd be in the mix for Jose Quintana. That was the talk preseason. But when the first month of the season concluded, I think all that kind of talk went out the window. And now you're 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 entering the last phase of the season here. Not the home stretch, but you're in like the last third of the season, and you're you're just kind of middling. You're nowhere. You're not bad enough to be picking in the uh, top five of the draft. Let's see where are. The Pirates. All right, they're at 491, and there are uh, there are a bunch of teams that are worse than 491, which is good. So you're not bad enough to be picking at the top of the draft, but you are. Uh, you're actually not good enough to be legitimately in postseason contention. There are eight and a half games of the second, eight and a half games back of the second wild card spot, uh, but only four and a half back of the divisional lead. And that four and a half games back may be a bit of a mirage. You may the, the Pirates may be seeing that four and a half game lead of the division and they be thinking, okay, well we got the you know, we got the Cardinals, the Brewers and the Cubs to to mount. Can we do it? Can we leapfrog past them? And I don't think you can. I really don't think you can. Maybe if you had Jung Ho Kang Maybe if you did, can you imagine this Pirates team that has Jung-Ho Kang from spring training on, from opening day onward? How many games better would they be? Two? Even if it's two games, even if they're just two games better, two wins better with Jung-Ho Kang than they are right now, they're right in the mix of the NL Central. They're right in the mix. And so it just goes to show you... uh, how stupid Jung-Ho Kang was. How just, again, whether it's negligent, whether it's recklessness, I don't care, whatever, stupid. I call both of those things a little bit stupid. And, you know, it, it's hard to think. It, let's. I'm going to look at um, 
I want to look at exactly how good he has been wins above replacement-wise. 2015, he had a 3.9 wins above replacement. Uh, he had a batting line of 287, 355, 461 across 126 games. And in 2016, uh, playing only 103 games, he had a batting line of 255, 354, 513, good for a wins above replacement of 2.2. So a little bit better of an on-base or, or a wins above replacement clip for Jung Ho Kang coming off that, uh, again, that, that horrendous injury he suffered in the 2015 playoffs, I want to say. And if he if he was just 2015 Jung Ho Kang this season, if he was just that, you're looking at a team that's at least two wins in the in the win column. Actual wins in the win column. Not marginal wins, not wins above replacement wins. We're talking about actual wins in the wins column, at least two, and that puts them two and a half back of the divisional lead leapfrogging the Cardinals. And you t- you want to talk realism? You want to talk realistically with what Kang could have given that team? Then you're looking at three or four wins. You're looking at a team that's battling for with the stumbling of the Cubs, with the Pirates currently stumbling after their hot start, but the Cubs stumbling out of the gate. The Pirates could have been could have been in the mix for the division from from day one, from day one, and they would have they would have had a better idea of what to do at the trade deadline, a better idea of what to do post-trade deadline, whether you want to pull the trigger on a waiver wire acquisition, whether you maybe you can go out and get a Justin Verlander. If you work at it enough, could the Pirates have gone out and gotten Justin Verlander? Could they? Reports are now that Verlander won't be moved. That's also on call to the pen.com. Justin Verlander not to be moved. But if he's staying put now, if the Justin Verlander sweepstakes are closed, but if you're the Pirates and you've got Jung Ho Kang, you've got Andrew McCutcheon making his return, you've got Garrett Cole doing Garrett Cole things, mm, is it realistic? Is it realistic that they could be in the mix for the division? I say yes. I think so. But, you know. Again, that's the talk, the ramblings of a crazy person. But uh, David Hill's uh, <clears throat> David's David Hill's piece is linked on uh, the podcast the podcast post page on Call to the Pen. Be sure to check that out. That'll wrap up this episode of the flagship podcast of Call to the Pen. Be sure to visit calltothepen.com every single day for great content from all of our contributors. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never ever miss a beat. New episodes scheduled for Monday and Wednesday weather permitting. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.